coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today is my co-host, Curtis, and today on the show... We're going to have some fun covering a variety of topics in the world of Georgia athletics by playing a little buy or sell. We've got some football, some basketball, some baseball topics to discuss, and we'll get into all of that in just a few quick moments. But first, we do want to thank everyone again, all of you who have been gracious enough to send in those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, and also throw out a big thank you to those of you who have taken just a few minutes to write kind reviews of our show as well. We really, really, really do appreciate that. And that level of support, man, I'm serious. It helps our show grow and allows us to be able to continue to bring you guys content all year long, not just during the football season. We want to make sure we have you guys covered all throughout the long and painful off season. So thank you, seriously. And if you have not rated and reviewed the podcast on Apple Podcasts yet, we would be extremely grateful if you would help us out there. But all right, it's been a couple of months since we played by ourselves. I think going back to last summer in the preseason. And we always have a lot of fun with this, so let's get to it. This call is being recorded. Okay, three, two, one. And we're going to open the show with the biggest news of the week in the world of Georgia athletics, and that is Tuesday's announcement. At least, I think it was Tuesday, right, Kurt? I think it was uh, Tuesday. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, let's go with Tuesday. And uh, If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, whatever. Uh, but Tuesday's announcement that we will indeed be buying out San Jose State. There were rumors to this effect. I actually got a question about it over the weekend on social media. And uh, I had heard rumors, but I, heard, I had heard nothing to fit it, so I couldn't like confirm nor deny. I'm not that in the know. But uh, the rumors did turn out to be true. We're buying out San Jose, San Jose State so that we can replace them with a game against Clemson to open the 2021 season in Charlotte, the Queen City. This is clearly a blockbuster matchup to open the 2021 season. But while that announcement it certainly like, clearly generated a great deal of excitement within most of the Bulldog Nation, there are still some out there who think scheduling top opponents like this is just straight-up pure folly. So, Kurt... My question for you is this, buy or sell, dropping San Jose State and scheduling Clemson to open the 2021 season in Charlotte was a good move for our program. I'm going to sell it. Okay, okay, all right. I'm, the all only right, so reason I'm selling it, right, well, what, I'm not selling it because of dropping San Jose State. I'm selling the fact of playing Clemson. Okay, sell me on that. Why is that yeah, a bad thing? That- that's the part I'm saying. I like playing the good teams. I think it's helped us grow. I mean, that's, you know, we're starting to get people across the country like Kendall Milton and Keely Ringo and stuff like that. But I think that's the case. We should be playing someone from the West Coast and, or, you know, someone from an air, a bigger market that we're trying to get a foothold in. Um, I just don't think we gain anything by the fact of playing Clemson. Even though Clemson might be like, a, at least I'm almost certain be a top three, top five team coming into that season. That kind of blockbuster. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just the fact of Clemson is a big recruiting thing against us. We're giving them more ammunition. We're already playing them um, two years or uh, two times. Uh, I just think that at this point in time, we should have played someone who we don't play all the time because it, it's going to get to the point where the fan base is not excited. So you're looking at this coming from the at least what it sounds like. And correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like you're looking at it from the perspective that this game does more for Clemson than it does for us. 
if anything, it doesn't do much to help us in general with the opponent. I think it, the playing the big time opponent will help, but I just don't like the opponent. I mean, like I said, if you know, you want something different. Yeah, like some like when we scheduled Notre Dame, you know, we're playing FSU, so I know that's effective because we have started making a lot of these home and a home and aways. Um, but I just think that I just don't like the opponent. It's just yeah, I, just I think can't. we played Clemson. That's the thing I struggle. With. Yeah, absolutely, because we have a home and home. I think we have two home and homes with them scheduled in the next like fifteen years, plus a game in Atlanta. Now this was so I think that's like six games against Clemson in the next like what twelve to fifteen years. I have to go back and look at the numbers exactly. Uh, and I, I saw this stat somewhere. I can't remember where I saw it, and I, and I don't remember the stat verbatim. But essentially, in that same time span, we'll play Clemson just as many times as we'll play our non-cross-divisional SEC West opponents combined, which is crazy, right? Like when you're talking yeah, about, like, I think that's what bothers me. Yeah, and I totally get that. And and I, I, but the other side of that is that Clemson is. I know in our lifetime, Curtis, you and me, like we haven't played Clemson every single year, but going back you know, to the seventies, eighties, like Clemson was a, almost an every, it was pretty much an every year game. It was like a traditional rival and, and we've gotten away from that. So there are some uh, maybe uh, older fans who are excited to get Clemson back on the schedule a little bit more um, regularly than we have in the past 15, 20 years or so. And so, so I think it might depend on your perspective, where you're coming from, because different fans look at things differently. Uh, I, I totally see what you're saying. And honestly, when this, my, okay, here's for me, like, me personally, as a Georgia guy, as a guy who travels all these games and, and like lives for this stuff, uh, lives for football season, loves going to all these games. Like my immediate reaction personally was like I was like over the moon, man. I was freaking pumped up, and I was pumped up just even thinking about the possibility. And that, and that, but that's me being selfish, okay? Selfishly, I love going to these games, going to watch us play Clemson, a big time opponent. A, a it's gonna be a, we know how hyped that's gonna be all off season long. And to see it not in Atlanta, for me, that's a big thing. Uh, doing it, and this is from, from a perspective of the fan, right? Because I think sometimes we lose track. Like we, we want what's good for the program. If what's good for the program, if it's good for the program, it's good for the fans, right? Because it means we're going to win and fans are happy. But I think sometimes programs lose sight of the fact that, like, with all the money being thrown around, fans are what drives the ship. If it wasn't for us spending the money, no coaches are making that money. There's no talk about players getting any more compensation than what they're getting. That, that, those millions and millions of dollars are not rolling in. So I think when you can do something like this and get back to fans, I think that's a good thing. And I know a lot of people like going to Atlanta. I get that because it's convenient, close to home, it's a little cheaper. I understand that. But to me, for me personally, Atlanta does nothing for me. The, going to the game is fun, but the experience around the game is not exciting at all. I, I drive in and out. There's nothing really around the stadium there. It's just not a great environment around the stadium at all. Like, there's no tailgate. There's just nothing there. Um, the game is great, but that's it for me. So it's not all that exciting. Going to Charlotte, though, making a weekend out of that, something totally new, totally different. And I think Charlotte's a great town. A lot, there's a lot more within walking distance of that stadium than what I think there is in Atlanta. So personally, and I know this is me being selfish, I like it for that perspective, from that perspective. But I also like that it it puts a spotlight on us for basically a full year. Once the season goes dead in 2020 at the, at the end of the National Championship game, then all eyes are on the next year. And you know that that Georgia-Clemson game is going to be the game that every single person is talking about nationally for the next year. And I think – or at least six, seven, eight months, however long it is. And I think that's huge for our program. Like our program's already gotten to a level where we have this great brand. But I think this further builds that brand, that build up that hype. I think that certainly helps. It helps recruiting. And I know Kirby Smart is going to recruit great no matter what. That's what he is. He's an elite recruiter, and our, that's what our program does. But this is certainly something that helps. That's part of our recruiting sell, our pitch, is that we're going to play in big-time games. And Kirby's always – I think he's right when he says it. Play, big-time players won't play in big-time games. I think that's a selling point. I think that helps. I know we already have big games in the SEC. I get that. 
But games like this where all season long the hype is building and you, you want to play in games like that. Um, and, and I also think it helps from another perspective from recruiting is that I know we have great talent here in the state of Georgia, but then we're recruiting more nationally. But North Carolina has some big-time players. I mean, traditionally, we've gotten some big-time players in North Carolina. I mean, in the re- relatively recent past, you got Todd Gurley, you got Jordan Davis, Muhammad Massaquah. I mean, there's some – I mean, that's going back a couple of years. But there's been some big-time players in the past 10, 15 years that we've gotten from the state of North, North Carolina. Keith Marshall's another one. So this kind of gives us another uh, foothold in North Carolina. I think that helps. But the the flip side of this, and I think this is maybe where you are, the drawbacker, I'll say this. And do you agree with me when I say, like, do you really think the college playoff is rewarding teams who beef up their schedule? No, look at Clemson this year. Exactly. That's my like in Oklahoma, right? Look, the past two yeah. years, we had a better schedule in Oklahoma the past two years. But you know what? We lost one more game than they did. Now that one both times it was in the SEC title game, but if we hadn't lost one of the, and I know that we had lost to conference opponents. I get that. But like playing Notre Dame this year, we had two losses. Did that help us bump up over in Oklahoma? Nope. It didn't. So that's, and I, and that's something that I, I, when that happened, like the past two years, being left out, being number five, the first team out of the playoffs. And I'm looking at them saying, man, our schedule is better than every single one of these teams. But somehow we still get left out. Does the schedule strength really matter? So I do question it to a degree. I'm questioning it more and more. Um, and, and, and if you beef up your schedule right now, the, the committee has not shown you that they always say like they're going to reward you. They look at that kind of stuff. And I guess to a degree they do because they, they don't really let the West Coast teams in. But when you play in the SEC and you play the schedule we played just within our conference, it's been proven that that is good enough to get you in if you go 12 and 1, right? If you go 12 and 1, you're going to get in. Now, if you go 12 and 2, you're not going to get in. But, but the thing is, if we go 12 and 2, or I'm sorry, uh, I guess it would be. 11 and two, you're not going to get in. But even if we go 11 and two with playing a better schedule, we're still not getting in. That's been proven. That's fact. Now, the, the committee will tell you every year is different. And you have always have a better chance in the playoffs if your schedule is stronger. But right now, they have not rewarded teams for doing that. So here I am kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth. The fan in me says this is great for us. I think, And I do think in a lot of ways it helps build our brand, helps in recruiting, which is and if we recruit better, in which we have been, but this is part of our recruiting cell, then we'll be in a better position to, to win moving forward. But at the same time, like when you beef up your schedule, if we lose this game, let's say we lose to, uh, I don't know, let's say we lose, we have a crap game like we did against South Carolina this year or somebody like that. And now you got two losses. I don't know. I, I, right now I have no evidence to suggest to me that the committee would, would reward us for that. So I totally see both sides of this argument. And I see what you're saying. Like it would be awesome to play uh, a Miami like, like Alabama is in 2021 or a USC or a Michigan or Ohio State in these kind of games. But at the same time, like you can only get who – you, you can get and the city of charlotte is putting it was putting this together so there's a committee was putting this together and they got georgia and clemson and that and it's a big time game so i see both sides but i think me i'm gonna buy it because i do think just by a little bit i think the benefits outweigh the drawbacks to this kind of game against this kind of opponent but i am starting more and more after especially after the last two years to see the drawbacks and scheduling like this i am starting to see that but from the fan perspective i think it's a lot of fun i think it helps us build our brand recruiting national spotlight, all that kind of stuff. But um, I can't argue what you said there. Uh, okay, we're going to turn to the hardwood for our next question. Now, in case you guys missed it, because I know a lot of you probably just given up on Georgia basketball, understandably so, it's certainly fair to say that this is already a lost season for our basketball program. I get it. But if you missed it, we did notch a fantastic win on Wednesday night over a top 15-ranked Auburn team who, by the way, if you haven't been paying much attention to college basketball in general, they've been ranked in the top 10 most of the season and uh, this, they were actually the penultimate team to lose a game this season. 
So it was a great win. It was a great win. We haven't had enough of them this year, but this was a great win. It was awesome to see us finally hold on to a lead for once. That's great after blowing multiple 20-point leads and other assorted leads. But the fact remains that even with that win over Auburn, this team is now 13-13 and 3-10 and in conference. Uh, that's bad. And that's a year after going 11-21 and overall and 2-16 and in conference in Tom Crean's first year on the job. So needless to say, it has been an extraordinarily rough start for Tom Crean on the court over his first two seasons in Athens. So, Curtis, buy or sell. Tom Crean will be Georgia's head basketball coach when the 2021-22 season opens, which is not next year, but will be his fourth year in Athens. So, buy or sell, he'll be our head coach to open his fourth year in Georgia at Georgia. Or, I think they had some unrealistic, unrealistic expectations this year. Um, the biggest thing was, yeah, we have Anthony Edwards, but we had did not have much of a supporting cast around him, especially um, veterans and things. We have a lot of young guys. Um, when you think about the fact that against Auburn, we started three freshmen, you have to take that into consideration. Um, you know, one thing I always hear about recently is, I mean, look at Bruce Pearl. I think it was his first three years. They were almost under 500 every year. And now look at the last two years, maybe three years, they've become a, a di- completely different program. So it's going to take some time to get more of the upper class um, there, you know, the leadership that we need to kind of change the entire program. Well, look at some of the other players. Uh, and, and you're right. Everyone's – I hear people say, I'm disappointed in Anthony Edwards. He's not as good as I thought he'd be. I'm like, what are you talking about? The guy's leading the nation among freshmen in, in scoring. He's uh, – I think he's still second in the SEC in scoring right now. And that's with him being like the only offense consistently, right? With every with the entire team uh, defensively against him is, is geared up to stop him. When he touches the ball, you got two, two, three guys at times running right at him. There's a play last night in that game where Jordan Harris actually hit a big three late in the game to extend the lead when Auburn was trying to cut it down. And that play was completely made by Anthony Edwards. Anthony, uh, he, Ant-Man tries to uh, – it's on the left side of the, of, uh, of the court. He's going to the basket. He puts his head down. He's going to the basket. And the guy that – so Harris is down. Uh, he's over on the at the three-point line on the baseline there. And he is guarded by Samir Dowdy. And Dowdy completely leaves Harris to crash on Edwards going towards the basket. And that's what we've seen all year long. Edwards, though, made the right decision, right? made the right play, kicked out the Harris. Now, far too often this year, those guys aren't hitting those shots. That's why teams keep crashing on Anthony when he's going to the basket. But he dished it to, to uh, Harris, which was the right play, and Harris, this time at least, knocked it down. That has not consistently been happening all year. So you're right. We have to have those players around him. And look at uh, – like at, uh, at Isaiah Stewart at Washington. That dude's a freaking stud. I know none of you watch Washington basketball, but I watch a ton of college basketball. Isaiah Stewart is freaking really good, but there's just no one really around him. Their starting point guard went out with an academic issue. Quad A Green used to be at, at Kentucky. And without those guys around, the supporting cast, they, I think they've won two conference games just like us. Look at Romeo Langford last year. He was a lottery pick. At, at Indiana, was a big-time high school recruit. They didn't go to the tournament last year, even though they had a big time, a lottery pick on their team because they did not have a supporting cast. Everyone else around him was young and inexperienced and not that good. So if you look at the Edwards, it's not like this is unusual. We are not Kentucky where we just take a freshman and put him around a great supporting cast. We don't, we're not Duke. We don't have that. So I think you have to factor that in and, and Crean, and you're right. Like this is, let's think about this. Is this not like if you look at where Tom, what Tom Crean has done historically, Curtis, in, in the because he's got he has this reputation as a builder of programs, but if you look at him historically in building those programs, this is what Tom Crean does, right? Yeah, I mean, if you look at go, I mean, you look at uh, Indiana, so he gets that job in two thousand eight. Now it's a little bit of a, of a different situation; they were coming off some sanctions, but his first year in Indiana, he was six and twenty five. Second year, ten and twenty one. Year three, twelve and twenty. Year four, though. 27 and 
Year five, 29 and seven, a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Go back to Marquette in 1999, his first year on the job, they were 15 and 14. Year two, 15 and 14 again. Year three, 26 and seven. Year four, 27 and six, make a trip to the final four. So this is kind of the MO for Tom Crean. It takes a while to get his players in to establish his system and build the program. It doesn't happen overnight. Now, what he's done with the program in terms of building excitement it's been fantastic. If you, I mean, going into Stedman Coliseum these days, with the exception of the, of the South Carolina game uh, a week ago, it's a totally different animal than what it was under Mark Fox. I mean, it's packed. It's loud. The students are there. He's built the excitement. Now, we've got to win on the court. There's no doubt. But as you were saying, like with the guys left around him, like let's be real about this. He was – when he got this job – Mark Fox left him with Rayshon Hammonds and a bunch of guys that he rounded up at the local YMCA. Right, that, That's about who he had to work with. Those guys were not overly talented. Rayshon is talented, but he's so inconsistent. He's so up and down. He's also playing he – he's forced to play out of position right now because we don't have enough big men on the roster. He's had to play the post, and that's really not what he is. He's really a wing. So the, the, the talent he was left with was just not talented. Uh, or the players who left was not they were not talented and they didn't fit his system. So he's got to get these guys in. He had a great recruiting class last year, a top 10 class, which is, is going to start the process. He's trying to fill out the rest of this class. Uh, defensive issues are one thing I am concerned about. Sure, it, you could on one hand say, yeah, it's the freshmen and they're young and experienced. A part of that's true. They get lost in tra- – like our transition defense has just been abysmal all year and they get lost in transition. But you would think by this point they should be at least getting a little bit better. I think they've regressed in a lot of ways. So is it really just about the freshman or is it somewhat of a coaching issue or is it maybe a combination of both? Because right now we're 219th nationally in opponent field goal percentage allowed and 280th nationally in opponent's points per game. So defensively that's been the problem. We've actually been pretty good on offense, not always not always efficient, but pretty pretty solid. But – um. Look, I know it hasn't been pretty, but I'm certainly not panicking on Tom Crean yet because I this is again this is what this guy does. If you look at his history, this is kind of what he does. And you kind of referenced this, Curtis. I'm gonna throw the quote out there. Uh, and I don't think to answer to answer the question, I'm gonna say uh, I am absolutely going to buy this. I think that the biggest thing is that he's got the support of our athletic director. Greg McGarity was quoted last week at the, uh, the the athletic board meeting. He said, quote, I feel great about men's basketball. Certainly we'd like to win more games. But if you look at the history of Tom Crean's resurrection of programs in Indiana, some fans, if they believed in that, Bruce Pearl would not be coaching Auburn right now, which is exactly what you referenced. I actually have the numbers. You're exactly right in what you said. In 2014, Bruce Pearl, was uh, his first Auburn team was 15-20 and 20 and 4-14 and 14 in the SEC. 2015, they were 11-20, and 5-13 and 13 in the SEC. 2016, a little bit better. 18 and 14, 7 and 11 in conference. 2017, this is when they made the jump. 2006, they were uh, 26 and 8 and 13 and 5 in conference. And of course, last year, they were 30 and 10 overall, 11 and 7 in conference, and they made it to the final four. But if you look at the first two years, it's fairly comparable to what Tom Crean has been doing. Um, and I'm not saying that we're going to jump up next year and be all of a sudden be a Sweet 16 type contender. Like, no, I'm not saying that at all. I don't think we are. But if we can get to like like per, like Pearl did, go to like maybe seven wins in conference and maybe a winning record overall in year three, I think that that's pretty much us being about on pace for what Tom Green does historically. So, I, and I think we'll probably get there next year. This young freshman class without Anthony Edwards, he'll be gone. He'll be in the NBA, but the rest of the class will be a year older, a year more experienced. We have some, uh, some talented guys that are going to be inserting along with them. So, yeah, I do think he'll be the coach. Uh, in in four years, and uh, I'm hoping that it'll be beyond that because that means that he'll he will have turned the program around. So yeah, I know people are frustrated right now. I get it, but I think you have to look at everything in context here. 
Okay, before we move on to our next topic, I do want to remind you guys about our friends at Simply Safe. Every night, local police departments across America, man, they receive hundreds of calls from security systems across the country. And the vast majority of the time, they really have no idea whether the alarm is real, is there actually any crime going on or not. All the alarm company can tell them is, hey, the motion sensor went off. Like that is somehow going to give them the information they need to keep you safe. Now, if you're like me and one of those guys that you are just so attentive to every single sound that goes on at night and you are tired of having to worry about that, Simply Safe is the solution. If there's a break in, Simply Safe uses real video evidence to give the police an actual eyewitness account of the crime. There's no guessing for the cops anymore. They'll know what's going on. That means police get to you about 350 times faster than a normal burglar alarm with a lot more information to work with. You get comprehensive protection for the entire house, you got outdoor cameras. Doorbell alerts for anyone who approaches your home. You've got entry, motion, and glass break sensors that guard the interior of your home. Plus, Simply Safe goes beyond that. They protect your home from fires, water damage, and even carbon monoxide poisoning. And it's all monitored 24-7 by live security professionals. You can totally set up yourself if you're one of those do-it-yourself kind of guys. Uh, or Simply Safe can do it for you, whatever works for you. And it's only 50 cents a day. And the best part, at least in my opinion, is that there are no contracts involved. If you like it, you keep it. If you don't, you can get rid of it. So right now, if you're interested, visit simplysafe.com slash overtime to protect you and your loved ones. You get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've really got nothing to lose. So go now and be sure to go to simplysafe.com slash overtime so they know our show sent you. That's simplysafe.com slash overtime. All right, now let's move back to the gridiron for the next question. There is a lot of hype, a lot of hope also, surrounding New Orleans coordinator Todd Munkin. And, and people are just kind of situating him as the answer to our unrelenting offensive woes of 2019. That's the only way to say it. It was unrelenting, man. It really was. It's just all year long, at least most of the year. Uh, but while he has spent some time in college, he's also a guy with an NFL background and a number of admirers in the league. So, Kurt, buy or sell – Todd Munkin will be Georgia's offensive coordinator when we open the 2021 season against Clemson in Charlotte. Um, it's hard to say I want to buy it. The only thing that really affects me is if he I, – I don't think he'll be fired. It's not going to be a James Coley situation. The only reason he wouldn't be is if we're good and he takes another position. Exactly, and that's why I disagree with you. I want him to move on because if he moves on, I think, that, that, I think that's going to be because we accomplish all the goals we want to accomplish. I think it's going to be like a Joe Brady. I'm not saying he's going to be Joe Brady, but like if he moves on after one year and he's that hot of a commodity, that means he's fixed our offense, right? And if you fix our offense with the defense that we have coming back, I mean, we're talking national championship good, right? Are we not? Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's the thing. You hope it comes to that case where it's not that he's moving on because we're moving on, but because he's done so well that they're like, all right. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, I don't, I'm with you. I don't see. I don't see us moving on from him. Like, I think this guy is going to get the job done. And like Kirby, I don't think he's going to move on in one year anyway. Uh, it's not like that James Coley and and uh, and our good old man Jim Chaney at Tennessee now set the bar all that high offensively. So if we're just mo- moderately better, uh, we'll be he'll, he'll certainly be welcome back. But I think we want this guy to move on. I know that sounds kind of counterintuitive because why would you want a guy to only be here for one year and have to go hire another guy all over again? And again, my answer is – if he leaves this year on his own accord, it's because our he, he will have done a good enough job with our offense to warrant him going somewhere else. And if he does a good enough job with our offense to warrant him going somewhere else, if you combine that with what we're going to have defensively, 
uh, everyone better watch out. I think we're going to be really good. So I think that's going to be good, good for us as a program. So, yeah, I think we want to move on. Um, and I don't know if I'm re- like, are you ready to say, Kurt, that he's that we're going to be that good on offense this year that he's going to be able to. Just I'm not ready to say that we're going to be that good, but I think that we have the skill players and I think he actually has. I'm not saying that Coley didn't, but I think he has some better creativity and better schemes to, to get people open, uh, to take advantage of people's skill sets, like, say, James Cook and things like that. Yeah, I think he certainly has more of, of a track record of doing those things. There's no doubt about that. And he has had much more success in his career off it, like, not even in the same stratosphere of James Coley. I mean, Coley had really very little success, if any. I wouldn't say really any success. I would say he, there's not yeah. really been a place where he has had success yeah. as terrible as it sounds. I know. I mean, I hate to, to, to harp on the guy because he worked hard for us, did a great job recruiting at least. Um, but yeah, I mean, he hadn't really had a lot of success. I mean, the track record that, I mean, we've all gone over it with Munkin, whether it's Oklahoma State, Southern Miss, uh, leading the NFL in passing with Tampa Bay with Ryan Fitzpatrick for half the year, and then Jameis turnover man Winston, uh, or at least maybe Crab Legs Winston. Um, yeah, so like uh, his track record is unbelievable. Really, I mean, maybe unbelievable is a little strong, but it's very, very strong. Um, but I don't know. Like, it's like I want to believe that this is gonna be the Joe Brady effect, but you, you can't count on that. I, like, how much of the, like honestly, Kurt, how much of the the LSU situation offensively last year, how much of it was Joe Brady and how much of it was Joe Burrow? Like, who do you put more stock in there? Um, I think it was just a match made in heaven, actually, between the two yeah. of them. The combination of those, but could like, and yeah. I know it's gonna. Everyone's trying to to find their Joe Brady and their Joe Burrow now. But could we? I'm not saying that that's gonna like play out exactly here in Athens, but like, is it possible that we could have something like that ish with uh, Jamie Newman and Todd Munkin this year? I think we have the skill players. Yeah, I think that. I definitely think we have the talent to do it. Yeah, and it's so hard to predict because, I mean, that's that's a big leap for us offensively. Think about the leap LSU took offensively from 2018 to 2019. Uh, they were, there's some similarities. They were stuck in the past offensively, very antiquated, just as we have been. Uh, they bring in a, a, a hotshot coordinator from the NFL. And actually, I would say Todd Munkin undoubtedly has had more success in his career than even Joe Brady had coming when Joe Brady first got that job. And that doesn't mean that Munkin is as good. It's going to be as good as Brady, but I think he's, his track record says he's had more success. He's been around more. He's more experienced. Now I'm not ready to say that Jamie Newman's going to be as good as Joe Burrow. I mean, I guess anything's possible, but Joe Burrow was, I mean, he's put the best year, the, the best quarterback season that I've ever seen. I mean, there's no doubt about it. So I'm not, I, I can't sit here and say that Jamie Newman going to do that. It's a little bit of a different quarterback as well, but if we can come anywhere close to approaching that, I think our offense can be, significantly better um and if that's the case then you ma- again match it with the defense and things could get really interesting and i could see in that case todd munkin taking the next taking another job and being a very very hot commodity uh, which i would be okay with if, if we accomplish all the things that we all want to accomplish uh, but i do have some questions though about like being year one i know it worked out really well for lsu but still i mean when you bring in a new coordinator you're changing your system there could be a learning curve there and uh, that's something that I'm going to that, that is true. I think the one thing that makes me feel better about that is the fact that you have a senior like Newman. Now, if we were in our situation where we are next year, more than likely when you have Carson Beck and uh, Vandegrift going to be in at the same time competing for a starting position, I'd be a little bit more nervous. Um, but the fact that you have an upperclassman who kind of has a feel for the game in general, it makes me feel a little bit more comfortable that we don't have as many young guys that we're relying on. Yeah, that's, that's actually a really good point because, yeah, if it's a true freshman – 
then oy, yay. but with Jamie Newman, at least now it's not in the top Munkin offense, but at least he has experience reading defenses, understanding schemes. Um, and I'm sure there's gonna be a yeah, lot because of like players. if it's a young guy, if it's a young guy, they're still having to learn to slow the game down in general and, you know, do all the minor right. things, but Newman can do that. Or he so had to play in a big learn- stadium. Exactly. So he can focus on the smaller things. Yeah. That, that's a really good point. So, yeah. Uh, so did you say you're going to buy or sell that he's going to be our coordinator next year? Um, I mean, I'll probably sell it because I think he'll move on, but I, I would love to buy it. I think that if, especially if we go into year two under him, our offense will be very deadly. You know what? I'm going to sell it too. And I know I'm getting ahead of the, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I, I really think their offense is going to be a good bit better this year with Munkin with Jamie Newman, I think it's gonna be different. I'm not saying it's gonna be an LSU f- level effect, but but I think we're gonna ha- it's gonna have an effect. We'll see. And especially so, like these NFL guys that come, they're always gonna be looking to get back to the NFL where they don't have to recruit. Yes, and that's why you see some of the, uh, the NCAA is starting to propose a lot of rules about dead periods, potentially in February and March, trying to cut down on some of the recruiting burden of for these assistant coaches. I mean, that's why it was a no-brainer for Brady to go to the. That's why it's a no-brainer for Brady to yeah. go back to the NFL because life's easier. Yeah, I don't think the average fan understands the grind on assistant coach when it comes to recruiting. Well, especially when he worked for someone like Kirby Smart, who yeah. is very demanding. So demanding. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so yeah, I think we're both selling that. Interesting. Uh, all right, next up, we're going to turn our attention on the 4-0 and and fifth-ranked Georgia baseball program. Kurt, I did a, a baseball season preview last week. Where I talked about the season being this season being about Scott Strickland's team taking that next step and actually winning a regional this year, not just getting there like we have the past two years, but win one. We have been a top eight national seed. We've hosted a regional each of the past two years, but we got knocked out in both those regionals, once by Duke and once by Florida State last season. And we have yet to make a super regional under Scott Strickland, let alone the College World Series. Now, we did lose some key contributors offensively from last year's squad, but we do return a number of key pieces on this team. So, Kurt, buy or sell, Georgia baseball will take the next step and at least make it to a super regional this season. I'm going to buy it. I think the bit, uh, the thing is I think that we have a lot better – I mean, yeah, it's going to hurt. We're going to miss Shunk and people like that. But I think that we have a, some better players in certain positions. I think that Anderson is going to be a lot better – than Tucker Maxwell. Tucker Maxwell had power and, you know, he hit quite a few home runs. But the one part of his game where he really struggled was hitting for average. And I think that's the difference between him and Ben Anderson, where Ben Anderson's going to do a better job of getting on base um, for people yeah, to. Right um, now it's 571. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's where he's going to really change the top of the lineup. And I think getting Tucker Bradley back is huge because I think he's just an all around leader for that team and hitting in the field. He just, he's a very high energy guy. And having him back is going to be very, very big. And I think to go along with our pitching staff, you have to be excited, especially if we get Will Proctor back. People like that, the bullpen will be very strong. Um, to me, it's really going to come down to a couple players. I think we're going to need a little bit more production out of Patrick Sullivan and Cameron uh, Cam Shepard and things like that. But I definitely think we have the pieces to do it. I agree with you. I am buying this. I think we – I totally agree. We had the piece, as you mentioned. Man, that was a great breakdown there. So, yeah, Tucker Bradley is a guy I'm really high on getting him back. He he went out in the first uh, series of the season last year against Dayton with a shoulder injury, missed the rest of the year. He's hitting 538 right now. I know it's a small sample size, four games of the year, but he's hitting 538. 
um, hit a towering home run uh, in the in the opening series. Cam Shepard, you mentioned, is a guy that we need to step up. He hit over 300 as a true freshman, but he's hit below 240 the past two seasons. He's he's a he is a, in a defensive whiz at shortstop. He's the best defensive shortstop in America. I think he won the Gold Glove. Actually, I know for a fact he won the gold, the wrongest Gold Glove at shortstop last year uh, in college baseball. Uh, he's hitting 412 right now. Now he started off hot last year as well, and kind of. Got down in the 240s, but uh, he's got off to a really good start right now. He's got a couple doubles on the season, seven hits and 17 at bats. Again, small sample size, but he's playing well. He's not hitting leadoff anymore either, which is good. I don't think that suited him. I think having been, like you mentioned, Ben Anderson, a guy with speed. That's one thing I do love about this team. We have a lot of speed on this team. When you get a guy like Ben Anderson uh, at, at the top of the lineup now, Tucker Bradley's also got some speed. Uh, when we get Rain and Jernigan back, he's got some speed. We've got some guys that can move around the bases, which I think is really going to help us be a little bit more aggressive. We might, we might not have the the power of a guy like Aaron Shunk from last year. But remember, Kurt, think about coming into last year, the things we were saying about losing guys like Curry. And I mean, you also uh, think Aaron Astor. Shunk had all of not even. I don't even think he had five home runs between the freshman and sophomore year. Yeah, he had he had very few. I'm not trying to. Um, and I, people like Don Blaylock, or not Don, but uh, Blaylock is going to be a big piece. Um, and Pierre I believe Blaylock, I can't remember yeah. the name, but I know in that first series we had an injury who someone we're expecting a lot out of. So you also got to take that into account. Yeah, you're um, I think her, yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think that it, I, I, that's where you saw a little bit uh, second base we struggled, especially hitting wise. Um, but I definitely think that we have some pieces and guys that can step up and do it. I mean, I think Ben Anderson had a great year, his freshman year over at Furman. Yeah. Um, and you're just hoping it translates it over. Yeah, Blaylock's got three home runs right now. And I got the numbers on Shunk. You're exactly right. I knew he had 15 last year. His first two years combined, he had uh, four home runs combined and jumped up to 15 as a junior. So I'm not saying someone on the, on the roster is going to do that this year, but the precedent is there. Someone has done that in the very recent past. So you can see a guy, I'm not saying Blaylock at third base, the Juco transfer is going to hit 15 home runs. But he's got three through four games right now. He might cool off there. But I think we have some guys with power potential. Cam Shepard's a guy that's got some power potential. Tucker Bradley's shown that. Uh, yeah, Shepard hit a two-run home run, I think, yeah. uh, in uh, Wednesday's game. Yeah, Connor Tate's another guy uh, who's got some home run, who's got some power potential. Riley King's guy can hit you know six, seven home runs, maybe up to eight home runs for you. So I think we have enough guys. I, I don't think the offensive production is going to be that different than what it was last year. Honestly, I really don't. We had guys step up last year when you lose the likes of Sasser and McGovern and Curry, and I think we're going to have that happen this year. At least we've seen signs of that through the first series. So with that combined with the pitching. Uh, when you've got a guy who ERA was under two last year and Emerson Hancock. Now he did didn't have his best outing uh, against Richmond last Friday, but I'm not worried about him at all. And you got Cole Wilcox, who was an all everything recruit. He, he uh, now I know Tony Lucy was great for us, but Kurt, is it really a stretch to say that we could potentially be better on Saturdays with Wilcox I mean, even we, than we were with Losey last year, as good as Losey was? Um, it's not a stretch. I don't think it's a stretch. I don't know if it'll be true, but it's definitely not, not a stretch. I mean, the guy yeah. to pitch for Team USA. Yeah, I think it's I think it's possible. And I think, you know, we, we got C.J. Smith back, and he's full-time as a, as a starter, as a starting pitcher now uh, on the Sunday spot as a number three starter. And he, you would think, you typically with natural progression, he'll be better than what he was last year. So I like our pitching staff. I Actually, our bullpen, uh, Ryan Webb came in on Friday night and had 11 strikeouts in relief. Um, so I really, I actually like it. Now I'm concerned a little bit about the back end of the bullpen and who's going to be closing games out. We've got some freshmen that are kind of vying for that, but I do actually think we have some experience and some good arms in the pen. I was very impressed with what they did over the weekend. I was kind of concerned coming in the year, but they did a really good job over the weekend. So yeah, I think this is a team that certainly can. And honestly, I think they should 
be able to make it to a Super Regional this year. I, I think they should, to be honest with you. And before we move on, I do quickly want to tell you guys about CryoFreeze. Living with chronic pain is the worst. A lot of you guys know what I'm talking about. It, it's so much more than just a feeling of discomfort. It can totally affect your entire life. And perhaps it's been going on for a few weeks now and it hasn't improved with any of the treatments you tried and, and you might be desperate at this point. I know I've been there. So if that's the case, enter Omax Health. If you're looking to get rid of the nagging muscle and the nagging joint pain injuries and that pain, that discomfort, um, and you want to get rid of it immediately while providing long-lasting recovery, then you have to try the natural breakthrough pain relief solution, CryoFreeze CBD Roll-On developed by Omax Health. It's a non-prescription, triple-action pain relief roll-on that's specifically formulated to block pain receptors, reduce inflammation, and just generally improve muscle and joint flexibility. The best part is it's totally 100% natural and CBD-powered, and it works as magic within 10 minutes of application. That relief lasts up to eight wonderful hours, so much longer than the typical over-the-counter products. And right now, Omax Health is offering all of our listeners here at the Glory UGA Podcast 20% off a full bottle of CryoFreeze CBD pain relief roll-on, plus free shipping. This discount also applies towards any product site-wide, so find what you want and get it right now. Just go to omaxhealth.com today, enter the code OVERTIME, that's O-M-A-X health.com, and enter code OVERTIME to get 20% off cryo-freeze and everything else site-wide. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Um, all right. So let's go ahead and move on here. Finally today, we're going to return back to the football side of things for our last two uh, topics today, if we can get through two of them. Kurt, we've been on a, a hell of a run here on the football side of things the last three seasons. Other than that stretch run from the 1980s, or in, I guess it was 1980 to 1982 when we had Herschel, I think a very strong argument could be made. In fact, you know what? I would make that argument that we are living in the golden age of Georgia football right now. I know maybe that's recency bias, but I'd make that argument. Uh, but I was having a conversation with a few colleagues, several of whom who are, are not Georgia guys, and the conversation turned towards who the elite programs in college football were. And I was somewhat, to be honest, taken aback when some of those non-Georgia guys argued very strenuously, actually, that Georgia is not a truly elite college football program. I, and I, I fully realize that was a decidedly small sample size. They don't speak for everyone in America. But it was still kind of a fascinating look to kind of get a glimpse into how other fan bases view us. So, Kurt, by yourself, Georgia is an elite college football program. I'm going to set uh, by that. I mean, the, the biggest thing is if we're not, then why is it such a big deal whenever we play anyone now? Um, you know, yeah. especially in the Mark Rick area, you know, we were a big game. You know, a lot of teams looked at us as rivals and things, but now it's completely different when they see Georgia come to town everyone's talking about it um you know I know I've been around the Tuscaloosa area and that's outside of Clemson and LSU that's one team that everyone talks about um they talk trash about us and if, but if, they, if, if they respect us that's what that is yeah that's the thing like it's not where oh it's just Georgia no they have something to say um, yeah. more and more teams are seeing us. I mean, we're finishing high in recruiting rankings. We're scheduling all these big opponents. We're always right there competing for the college football playoffs. Um, I think it's an absolute joke to not consider us up there. 
I, I agree with you. Uh, I am buying this. And and you kind of made my point there going back to the beginning with the, with, the, with the Clemson game. Like I think scheduling games like that, although there is certainly a clear drawback to it, it does help in building the brand of your program and, and bring you up to that elite status, especially if you can win some, some of those games. So if you win one of those games, not just playing, but if you win one, then watch out. Like winning those Notre Dame games, that's big for our program. Like winning that at South Bend with a true freshman quarterback, when we had all of our fans there taking over that stadium, you don't, I mean, absolutely that helped build the brand of our program. That helps in recruiting. That helps us nationally and build the narrative of who we are as a program. Um, so I think that certainly helps. But yeah, I mean, what Georgia's on elite program? Like, come on, come on. Like, let's be like, and look, here's what I would say about elite program. Cause I had one of them arguing that Auburn was an elite program. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? You're calling Auburn an elite program, but Georgia's not, even though we've won 12 of the last 15 games against Auburn. And his argument was with that Auburn won a national title more recently than Georgia. Oh, okay. All right. So, Kurt, do you have to win a national title within the last 10 years to be an elite program? Uh, no. I think it certainly helps, but is that, a, is that a prerequisite? No, not at all. I mean, look at FSU. Yeah, and look. Well, I wouldn't consider FSU an elite program right now. Well, no, right but now, they won a championship. Yeah, that, that's yeah, true. I mean, yeah, historically, uh, that's I true. Mean, historically, Alabama was a an elite program. Oh, so you were just you were saying the the, the 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 negative there, like like Florida State's won a, what was it 2014, 13? They won the national title, and look at them mm-hmm. now. They're not elite right now. Yeah, Alabama won almost Oklahoma. 15 years. That, that's absolutely true. I think for a stretch there, they certainly weren't elite. I think obviously they are now. Uh, and look at Oklahoma. I, I know Oklahoma's won a national title more recent than we have. I think it was two was uh, was it 2000? I think 2000 was Bob. There's their last real national championship with Bob Stoops. So it's been 20 years. But people, uh, he, the guys that I was talking to, were making the argument that Oklahoma was elite, but we weren't. And I'm just like. Uh, Okay, yeah, I know they won one more recently than us, but to me, yes, championships are a part of that, and that can help you become elite, but that's not the only way to become – and by the way, we have won an SEC title, played for the last three, uh, were one ridiculous, freaking stupid, blown coverage away from winning a national title in overtime. So, yeah, you know what? If you look at records, okay, so you got Oklahoma in the last three years, just 36-6 and six overall. Uh, Ohio State's 38 and four overall. They got three conference titles. Oklahoma's got three conference titles. Clemson is the, I mean, they're incredible. 41 and three over the last three years, three conference titles, a national title. Alabama is 38 and four overall last three years, one conference title, one national title. The one thing that we don't have there against teams like uh, Clemson and Alabama and even Ohio State relatively recently is the national title. But we're 36 and seven with three conference title appearances. Uh, we do have a, a conference title. We have a, uh, a college football national national championship game appearance almost had that game. I won. I know you can't say moral victories, but we're right there. We're right there along with all those teams over the past three years. Um, and we're also, by the way, the only one of those teams, uh, I guess outside of Alabama to play in a conference with another true contender. Like Kurt, if, if we played in the ACC, would our numbers be even better than what they are have been over the last three years? hundred percent. Yeah, 100%. If we played in the Big 12, 100%. We'd have better numbers than we have now, and we're already based at the same level from a win-loss perspective than all these other teams that people consider elite over the last three years. And, and to me, I would say, like, the term elite, that can change. Like, you don't you don't have I – don't, I don't know if there's a such, such thing as a permanent elite status. I think it's something that can change based on how your program performs on the field. It's like – like, look at a USC, for example, Kurt. Is USC an elite program right now? No, not even close. Not even close. Right, not even close. But they were when Pete Carroll was there, but things have changed. Texas, they were elite. Vince Young, Mac Brown, Texas ain't elite now. Florida with Urban Meyer, you can go back to see Spur, they were elite. I know they're getting better, but they're not elite now. Florida State, you mentioned them earlier, Kurt. They were elite. 
They are far from elite right now. They're a laughing stock. So that term elite can change based on how you perform and what happens within your program. And sure, that term elite can mean different things to different people. People can interpret that and define that term in their own way. But I think the commonality between most people's definition of that term elite would be sustained success at the highest levels. You know, winning championships, winning big games. And in this day and age, either consistently being in the playoff or knocking on the door of the college football playoffs. And over the last three years, we hit every single one of those marks. No, we have not won national title, but we have won SEC titles. And that still means something. We played for national titles. We've won big games. We won an SEC title against Auburn. We've beat Notre Dame twice uh, in, a big, in big high-profile games. We won a huge, incredible Rose Bowl game. Probably still today the best game of any playoff game to this point. So we have hit all of those marks over the last three years. And the thing is, like I would say almost anyone, I mean that, almost anyone could step up and cycle up to one real big year. You know, Baylor last year, for example. But exceedingly few teams can do it three, four, five years in a row. And I think we have proven we are in that company right now. For a while, I think under Mark Rick, early in his career, we were elite. Then we went through a stretch from, uh, say, 2012 to 2000. And 15, where we weren't elite. And even a couple of years, 2008, 2009, 2010 as well. And then Kirby comes in, and he's got us back to elite status. So to say we're not elite, come on. Come on. That's that's just patently absurd. So, yeah, I, uh, I'm buying that. All right, last one here before we get out. We'll do this real quick, Kurt. So, Kurt, you, me, all of our listeners, everyone in the Bulldog Nation, we are starved for a national title. I dream about it personally on a daily basis. And, and I, I'm being serious about that. That's not hyperbole. I dream about it on a daily basis. I'm I'm hungry, man. And uh, I know all of our listeners are too. So, Kurt, buy or sell. Georgia will win a national title within the next three seasons in football. Um, I'm going to buy it because I think the um, thing is we're consistently recruiting at a high level. Um, so I think the talent is there. I think it's just getting us over the uh, – you know, getting over that hill. And I think that the team is getting – hungrier and hungrier especially you know the way we're so close yet we haven't gotten over it um yeah. and you don't you haven't seen a step back and you've actually seen Kirby kind of change his ways trying to do whatever it takes to get him over the top as, as in you know changing his death you know loosening up that death grip he had on the offense yeah I think I think that's a that's a huge step for our program as well uh yeah I love what you said about recruiting there because like look if you look at the last three four years recruiting rankings we will be according to the recruiting rankings and I know take that for what it is we will be the most talented team in America these next this next year or two, according to recruiting rankings. It's going, especially when you add in what we're going to do this year in in the uh, in the twenty twenty one cycle. It's going to we're going to recruit lights out this year. So it's going mean, to might be better than last year's cycle. So we will be. I'm not going to say one. Of them. I'm saying we're going to be the most talented team in America according to recruiting rankings in the next couple years here moving forward. But the problem we've had is that like we've been really good, but we haven't gotten it all to align at the same time. So in in 2018. Our offense was actually really good, really efficient. It was a, it was a top ten offense nationally in, in most efficiency categories. But our defense wasn't up to par. Last year, our defense was top five nationally. Our offense took a step backwards. Um, and then this year, we'll see what happens offensively. I think this year could be a, this might be where it aligns if, if we can get things going offensively with Todd Munkin with Jamie Newman. If, if our defense is as good as I think it should be, then watch out. And but then next year, you, know, you look at our twenty twenty one. Then our def- we'll have all the players offensively, defensively need, but you're going to have probably either a true freshman or a redshirt freshman starting quarterback. So getting it all to align at the same time has been a problem for us. Um, but I think this year might be the year where it aligns. We'll talk a lot more about that 
throughout this offseason. I'm not quite ready to go out on that limb full bore yet, but uh, I, I think if you look at it right now, it's it's certainly a possibility. But, yeah, if you look at the talent that we're bringing in, uh, especially at the key position, the quarterback position, you obviously we've got Jamie Newman this year. Uh, Carson Beck, I know some people are down on him a little bit after his senior season. I still think he can be a really good player for us. Uh, I think he's only – I think his best football is still ahead of him. Got Brock Vandegrift coming in. Uh, we're recruiting at a high level at that position. Then, of course, we've got the offensive line. We've got running backs defensively. I mean, we've got so much depth. It's not even funny, man. So, yeah, I think – Right now, yeah, sure, let's do it. Let's buy that Georgia will win a national title in the next three seasons because, man, and sure, maybe this is us. You can say that we're being biased or being homers, whatever. But I think if you realistically look at it from a recruiting perspective and the players we have on the roster right now from a coaching perspective, we weren't that far off the last two years, guys. We really weren't. And so if we can just pick things up a little bit offensively and still be just as good as we were defensively last year, I think there's a strong opportunity for us to at least be in the playoffs. We get in the playoffs. Who knows what happens, man? But um, all right, guys, that does it for today here on the Glory UJ podcast. We always appreciate each and every one of you guys taking time to listen to us here on the Glory UJ podcast. And uh, if you get a chance, if you haven't already, we would greatly appreciate it if you would give us a rating or a and or a review on Apple Podcasts. That certainly helps us as we continue to try to grow the show here. But uh, for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Have a great weekend, guys. And as always, go dogs.